6, verses 8 through 23 is our text. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. This is God's holy word. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Now, when the servant of the man of God had arisen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he brought them to Samaria. When they had come to Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Then the king of Israel, when he saw them, said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? He answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the marauding bands of Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel. The reading of God's holy word. Be seated, and let's pray together.
Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We confess our need for your word to direct us in the affairs of our lives and the living out of our lives before your watchful eyes. We pray, therefore, that you would be pleased now through the preaching of this passage to grant us your help to convey to us the wisdom that you have stored up for your holy people in your holy word. We ask for your spirit's illumination. We pray for his ministry in our midst, both in preaching and in hearing. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As often in Hebrew narrative, a lot is left unsaid in this account. We don't know how Elisha knows the plans and the moves of the king of Aram. Although he is the man of God, as he is often called in in, uh, the Elisha narratives, who receives revelation from God, so we can reasonably infer that he's receiving military intelligence directly from Jehovah himself. We don't know the names of the king of Aram or the king of Israel. A good guess would be Ben-Hadad II in Aram and Jehoram in Israel. But we can't know for sure since the narrative uh, narratives in this section aren't necessarily in chronological order. At any rate, all the characters except Elisha are anonymous. He's the only one named, and of course, these are the Elisha narratives, and so Elisha is central. It should be no surprise to us that he's, uh, he alone is named here. Nor do we know how the king of Aram's, uh, Ram's servant knows what he knows about what Elisha knows. Verse 12. So we can guess uh, that we have an account that took place about 845 B.C. with a good many questions unanswered. What's not in question is the main teaching of this passage which is that no one is so safe as the people of God even when they live in the most terrifying of times. The first place we'll see this evening from our text that God's people experience His supernatural deliverance. Secondly, God's people enjoy his unseen protection. And thirdly, God's enemies receive his unexpected protection. First then, God's people experience his supernatural deliverance. The king of Aram, apparently not wanting to mobilize his entire army and and risk losing a decisive battle to Israel, had resorted to sending raiding parties uh, into Israel 
from the north. Remember, uh, Aram or Syria is just north of, of the northern kingdom of Israel. This seems to be the implication here in verse 23, the last uh, sentence here, and the marauding bands of Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel. But every time the king planned to send his raiders into Israel, verse 8, the Lord, so it seems, informed Elisha where the Arameans were planning to strike, and Elisha in turn informed the king of Israel. Not once or twice, we're told in the text, meaning uh, many times. The Aramean king becomes suspect that, that something is amiss, and in a rage he accuses his servants of leaking information to Israel. Verse 11, there must be a mole, he thinks, a traitor in the inner circle who's supplying military intel to Israel. Only then does one of his servants tell him what he and his fellow servants seem to have known all along. Verse 12, Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Immediately, the king wants to know where Elisha is so that he can capture him. Does the king not know that Elisha will know uh, that the, the king of Aram is seeking to uh, come and, and, and capture him? Um, hearing he was in Dothan, he dispatches horses and chariots uh, and a great army there who surround the city by night, verses 13 and 14. But as this army surrounds the city of Dothan with their horses and chariots, they themselves, unbeknownst to them, are surrounded by horses and chariots of fire in the mountains around the city. And then in answer to the prophet's prayer, the Lord blinded the Aramean soldiers, verse 18. So instead of the soldiers capturing Elisha, they themselves were captured and led to Israel's king, verses 20 and 21. God surrounds his people to deliver them supernaturally. One of the songs of ascents, one of the the songs that Israel sang as they were making their sojourn up to Jerusalem for the great feast of Israel is Psalm 125. It expresses the truth of our text most beautifully. Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. Psalm 34, 7 says that the angel of the Lord 
the pre-incarnate Jesus as as he appeared in, in the old covenant scriptures. Jesus himself uh, surrounds and camps around his people to deliver them. This is a, a, one of the wondrous truths that uh, we, we glean from this text about the safety in which God's people dwell. God surrounds them with his protecting care, even if they cannot see him. This is a continuing pattern throughout the history of God's people. God still frustrates the enemies of his people and delivers them supernaturally. In the 1970s, when things were really getting hot in, in China in terms of, of gospel witness. Things were uh, really beginning to move in that, in that nation. Uh, many Christians were worshiping then as they do now in house churches. They constantly changed the, the location of their meeting places in order to invo- avoid crackdowns by the government. When they were discovered... Leaders would be arrested and sent to labor camps. At one particular meeting, those present had a strong sense of Christ's, uh, an overwhelming sense of Christ's uh, in their midst, the, the love of Christ uh, in their midst, and uh, the Spirit's presence. And at the end of the meeting, five visitors stood and announced that they had been sent to make arrests. But now they too wanted to believe. The protector of the church had frustrated the enemy and delivered his people. Now, does God always intervene in that way? We know that he does not. Often God's people are crushed by Christ's enemies. And yet the biblical narrative, church history, and Christian biography are filled with instances of God's supernatural deliverance of his own. No one can touch or harm God's people unless their defender allows it. God's people experience his supernatural deliverance. That's the first thing that our text teaches here. Secondly, God's people enjoy his unseen protection. Elisha's servant surely did not expect such a shock when he arose and stumbled outside that morning. Uh, to see an army with horses and chariots, chariots circling of the city, verse 15. Servants overcome with fear. And he returns to Elisha, and he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Our fears prevail when we don't see the unseen. Elisha, in response, states the big principle 
in verse 16 and praise for the servant's perception of that principle in verse 17. It's one thing to hear the principle, do not fear, those who are with us are more than those who are with them, there in verse 16. It's another thing to be strongly, consciously, and vividly impressed with that reality. Verse 17. Notice uh, Elisha's prayer, and Elisha uh, does quite a bit of praying, doesn't he, in this, uh, in this passage. Notice his prayer isn't about changing things, but about opening eyes to see the reality of the God who changes things. The prophet's prayer didn't create these armies of heaven. It opened the servant's, the servant's eyes to see these armies in the mountains. Uh, the prophet doesn't deny reality. He doesn't deny that the army of Aram is there. Rather, he prayed that Jehovah would show his servant the unseen forces arrayed in Elisha's defense. And we read here in verse 17 that the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. Elisha, what did the servant see as he looked around? What did he see once God answered Elisha's prayer and opened the eyes of the servant so that he could see what was before unseen? He saw nothing less than the host of heaven themselves arrayed around Elisha. Can you imagine how small and insignificant the Aramean army appeared in comparison to this heavenly host in the mountain? Elisha could say, do not fear to his servant because there really wasn't anything to fear. The Arameans were no match for the Lord of hosts, the army of heaven. The importance of seeing God's unseen protection is illustrated in John's, John Bunyan's description of Christian's approach to Palace Beautiful in uh, Pilgrim's Progress. The, uh, the palace stands a little off the way, a little off of the holy way. It was approached by a narrow path a narrow passage leading to the porter's lodge. Starting up the lane, a Christian hasn't gone far when he sees two lions in front of him. He stops and turns as if to go back. The porter at the lodge has been watching him all along, and he calls out to Christian, Is thy strength so small? Fear not the lions, for they are chained and are placed there for trial of faith where it is, and for discovery of those that have none. Keep in the midst of the path, and no hurt shall come to thee.
Christian saw the lions. He saw the reality. He didn't see the unseen chains. And Bunyan reminds us that we walk by faith, not by sight. And although we won't see horses or chariots of fire with our eyeballs, we can see with eyes of faith the unseen protection that God affords for his people. Our Savior's experience instructs us that the unseen, this unseen protection is present even if it's not activated. Jesus, you remember, rebuked Peter in Gethsemane for drawing his sword against uh, his arresters, uh, Christ's arresters, and, and cutting off the ear of the high priest's slave, saying uh, to Peter, do you not think that I can appeal to my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Matthew 26, 53. These legions of angels were inactive because the cross was the will of God. But in Gethsemane, it was, if Jesus turns and says to his fearful apostle, Peter, I don't lack resources, which means that Jesus knew and lived under the unseen protection that we find revealed here in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. His rebuke to Peter means that he wanted Peter and the disciples to know and live under this unseen protection. And it means by extension that he wants you and me to know and live under this unseen protection. God's people experience his supernatural deliverance. They enjoy his unseen protection. And thirdly, God's enemies receive his unexpected protection. By assuring the, the blinded airman soldiers he would take them to the man they were really looking for, this is quite, uh, quite humorous uh, in itself, if you think about it only for a moment, Elisha was able to lead them on a 10-mile hike to Samaria, verse 19, where he prays for a second time that eyes which have been blinded would be opened. When the king of Israel does see the Aramean army, his gut reaction is to kill them. Verse 21, I think it's fascinating uh, we see the dynamic, we see this interplay between uh, God's prophet and the king of Israel. The king asks Elisha what to do. My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? What should I do? He, he's asking the prophet. And the, Elisha responds 
quickly and decisively. Verse 22, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those who have been taken captive by your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So the kinds of of protections that the Geneva Convention outlines for prisoners of war in our day have long standing in civilized societies. One old commentator explains Elisha's reasoning this way, when soldiers are made prisoners of war, it's contrary to humanity and to law, the laws of nature and nations to kill them in cold blood. And much more to those who were not taken by his sword and bow, but by the power and providence of God. So the king of Israel is thinking about a bloodbath in Samaria, but Elisha has in mind a banquet. And so it was that God's enemies feasted before they were sent back home to their master. Now, what was this strange twist of events meant to display, especially to these Arameans? They had fallen into the hands of Jehovah's prophet, and Jehovah, through his prophet, had spared them. Who would have guessed that Jehovah spares his enemies? And what a powerful foreshadowing this is of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Romans 5.10 that while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And goes on to say, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Because Christ went to the cross and there endured God's wrath in place of his elect people, There's there's now no wrath for his people to endure. Instead, they will one day find themselves feasting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Three things by way of final application. In the first place, while we wait for that wonderful feast that we shall, as God's people, enjoy in heaven, We who know the Lord are to be busy demonstrating the Lord's goodness here on earth. And that means we're to keep Paul's admonition of Romans 12, verses 19 to 21, close to our hearts. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Secondly, give thanks 
for God's supernatural deliverance. Give thanks for God's deliverance even when it's transparent to you. You and I don't know how many times we have been delivered by the Lord from great danger. Now, I was a very foolish young man as a teenager, and I can think of a lot of times that I was delivered from great danger when I was a kid. But we simply don't know how many times God has kept us out of harm's way, how he has protected us supernaturally, and we don't don't even know about it. Another one of the Psalms of Ascents, 124, offers praise to God or his protection in this way. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side when when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Give thanks for God's supernatural deliverance that has often, unbeknownst to you, kept you from great harm. But then third, learn to see God's unseen protection with eyes of faith and and take comfort in this profound reality. What a comfort there is for us in, in what Elisha's servant saw. His experience reminds us that there are always two parts to reality. The part that we see and the part that's hidden from us. Elisha's servant looked out that morning and he saw uh, the Arameans who were, of course, there to be seen. They were all around the city. They were real. The problem was that he only saw the Arameans. Believers often find themselves, uh, find themselves in much the, the same dilemma as Elisha's servant. Things go so amiss. Things, uh, the things that we face, the, the, the problems that we face in this world, the illnesses that we face, serious illnesses, illnesses that threaten our lives, dangers that threaten our lives, that we often lose a sense of, uh, of this reality. reality. We often uh, feel like throwing up our hands and saying, as Elisha's servant said, what shall we do? But that servant's experience tells us that we should look beyond the realities that can be seen to the realities of the spiritual world. It's quite certain that God will never, in our day and time, or any day in the future, show his people these realities as he showed Elisha's servant. 
But while he won't show you horses and chariots of fire in the mountains around the city, we can still see them by the eye of faith. We can know and live in the knowledge and the comfort of these unseen spiritual realities. And what a great comfort that is to God's people. Challenging for us to know and live under these realities, but nevertheless, comforting when God gives us eyes of faith to see the unseen spiritual forces that he is arrayed in our defense. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, you are great. You are greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. Your power is unmatched. Your wisdom is unbounded. We give you praise, O Lord, for the safety that the promises of Scripture afford to us. The things that you promise us, that as the mountains surround Jerusalem, that you, O Lord, surround your people to watch out for them, to watch over them, to protect them. That the angel of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, encamps around those who fear him to deliver them. We thank you for the great deliverances that you have granted to us throughout our spiritual pilgrimage here on earth. And uh, we give thanks to you, O Lord. We give praise to you for uh, the times that you have, unbeknownst to us, delivered us The times, O Lord, when unknown and unseen to us, you have kept us from danger, kept us from our foolishness, kept us uh, from falling into the snares of uh, the devil, kept us on the path of righteousness. And we pray, O Lord, that you would give us eyes to see your unseen protection. Give us eyes of faith. Teach us, O God, that we walk by faith and not by sight. Grant us comfort in this profound reality that you've revealed for our good and our encouragement. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.